Jesus is the light of the world is the, the title of this morning's message, obviously right fitting in with our text. This text naturally, as I expounded last week, we did have a service in the morning and evening, though it did snow. We mentioned last week that this text here, where we're picking it up in verse 12, naturally fits into chapter 7, verse 52, the text that I expounded last week. Uh, you can look at that, uh, listen to it on the tape. We are at the last day of the feast. Jesus has already dramatically, on the last day of the feast, presented himself as living water, able to quench the thirst of a man's soul. And let me ask you right now, is your soul thirsting for truth? Is your soul thirsting to know the true living God? The Lord Jesus Christ said very clearly that he is able to satisfy that thirst. And only he is able to satisfy that thirst. Now, as we continue on in chapter 8, verse 12, he presents himself as the light of the world. As we think of the com comments, or we think of the concept, is what I really wanted to say, of light and darkness, just in our own way of thinking. Darkness is very commonly associated with such things as nighttime, evil, sin, blindness, gloom, depression, hopelessness, fear. Oftentimes people fear the dark, death, instability a lack of knowledge, I could continue to go on and on this morning. That is the nature of, of what we think when we think in terms of darkness. When we think in terms of light, as we can see outside, in fact, it's so bright in some situations we have to pull the shades down. But we think of light usually in relationship to daytime, like we are in right now here. Purity, righteousness, the ability to see, joy, happiness, hope, life, knowledge, direction, clarity, and peace. And those are just some things in contrasting them. Those are the things that we associate with light normally in the world. It is absolutely necessary for even the bushes that are outside to have light and to have sunlight in order to survive. We need light in order to be able to see in a room where we're going. I think darkness is associated with some of the things that I have pointed out. In our current text, Jesus makes an absolutely astounding, amazing, incredible, earth-shattering statement or declaration and what is it? That he himself is the light of the world. As we look at this declaration, picking it up in verse 12, right away it begins with the word again. And that's why I again pointed out in more depth last week. But if you look at verse 37, he was the last day of the feast. We've been looking at that feast since the beginning of chapter 7. And he had already confronted the issue where 
we illustrated to you how the priest would bring up the water and the significance of that, and he's presented himself as the one that is able to satisfy the soul and give us living water. And now he continues on again. It is now nighttime in that day, in that feast. And the Lord brings us to what is known as the second great I am. The first great I am that we saw was in chapter 6. It was that he said that Jesus Christ himself is the bread of life, able to satisfy, able to meet the inner being, the innermost need of our hearts. And without question, you see the universal appeal. There is no way around it, folks. This word, world, clearly is used in a universal appeal in this text, rightly divided. He says that he is the light of the world. He doesn't say that he's a light. I'll refer to that later. But he says that he is the light, the light of the world. Now, you and I see that term, and especially those who have been saved a while, and we understand that, and we bounce right over it. Yeah, he's the light of the world. What else is new? It's unfortunate sometimes with our approaches to Scripture. But to really grasp the significance, I believe, of what was going on in this situation, we need to understand, again, the setting and why we've been spending so much time on this chapter and on the prior chapter. The setting for us is given in verse 20, actually, at the end of our text today. And if you look at verse 20, it says, These words he spoke. The words that he spoke, speaking about being the light of the world, he spoke where? In the treasury, as he taught in the temple. He's speaking in the treasury, verse 20. Now, what is that? This is the area that is called, by the way, the court of the woman. The court of the women. That's, what he, that's the area that he is in teaching. So in your mind's eye, you can understand that. Now, first of all, let me tell you that in the court of the women, there were 13 what appeared to be like a trumpets, just to help you to understand this situation. In that area of the court of the women, they would have what had the appearance of a trumpet-shaped receptacle. There were 13 of them in the room, so if you think of a long trumpet, the type that they would blow maybe in announcing events, and you see these things hanging from them, they were long that's what it would be. There would be 13 of them around, and they were receptacles for what? For money. They were boxes, if you will, for the treasury. They were boxes for money. And as I understand it in my reading, the trumpets were labeled. For example, the trumpets were labeled temple tax, so that they would know where to deposit their temple tax money, and it would go into this trumpet-shaped receptacle. And by the way, to help you understand the significance of that, keep your finger right here. Go to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. You are familiar with this, I know. But in Luke chapter 21, in verses 1 to 4, we find this. And he looked up and he saw a rich man putting their gifts into, same thing, the treasury. So the rich man going around to the appropriate trumpets, and probably, we don't know that, but making sure everybody heard it ring as it was going in. And he saw a certain poor widow with two small copper coins. 
And he said, truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. Not just some of them, but all of them. And then he says, for they gave out of their surplus and they put into the offering, but she, out of the poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Now, in our offering this morning, we passed plates around. That's not the way they did it. They came into the area of the temple of the women, and there were these 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles, and they would put their money into it. So that's what you have. That was referred to as the treasury. That's why this woman that we often refer to in relationship to giving and so forth, that's why it would have been in the area of the court of the woman where she was able to put in these funds and so forth. This is the area where this poor widow had done it. Now, to help us understand this area, this was as far as the women could go. Now, I tried to think how I could best illustrate it to you as a congregation because you don't all have the structure and the concept, if you will, of even the temple in, in the area for the women. The women couldn't go any further. If you think of this building, outside the building in the ball field and out around us, if you can just picture that, that is where the Gentiles could go. The Gentiles could go that, and that's as far as they could go. Then if you think of the multi-purpose room, that we'll consider this morning the court of the women. They could come inside the building, but that was as far as the women could go. They could go into that area, if you will, for this morning for illustration, into that area called the multi-purpose room. Then if you came out through those doors, let's make it that narrow corridor just for the sake of illustration. It's actually a little distorted with the size. But that would be the area where now the men could come through the multi-purpose room and they could go into that area. Then as you look further, there would be called the holy place. And that would be the area, if you will, that we're sitting in. You could come through a different area and that was the holy place. Only the priest could go in there. So the women would have to stay in the multi-purpose room, if you will. The men could go then into the next area. Only the priest could go into the holy area. Then if this curtain was shut behind me where the cross is, if that was shut, that kind of would be the holy of holies, where only the high priest could go. So at certain levels, people could go in. And the Lord is in, and I try to use that illustration because a lot of our activity happens in the multi-purpose room. And that's what you've got. You've got this area where only the women could go, where the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching, and these receptacles are known as the treasury, and a lot of activity is going on in there. It was an easy place, because of all the activity, for the Lord Jesus Christ to teach the most Jews. See, because if you went into another area, only the men were there. And if he, by God, uh, obviously could allow him to do it, went into the holy place, only the priests would be there. But the place where he could minister to, since he came to the lost house of Israel, would be where most of them were. Where was that? The court of the woman. And there were a lot of things going on. So he's in there teaching. Now, we do first further in investigation. Now, you've got to remember, it's nighttime there. Also, we find out that there was large and a lot bigger than what we have up on our ceiling. Large, in fact, it's referred to as massive lamps that were in the court of the woman. In our multi-purpose room, we have big special lights so that it lights up that whole area. Well, according to Carson that I was able to research and study through, he said there was four large, what we would call candelabras, but enormous candelabras that were used to light up that area. And further research tells us that in that area there was so much activity going on in this court of the woman in the treasury, 
Now, I don't know how they defined this, but the reading, and I'll quote it, there were men of pi uh, piety and good works. How did they determine that? I don't know. But the historical record says that there were men in piety uh, and of good works who were in that area when everything was lit, and they would be given torches to help further light the area. And what would go on in that area during the festivals was that there would be dancing that was going on in there, singing of songs and praises that would go on all night long. And when they came to the end of the feast, which we've already seen in chapter 7, that was the highlight. And so when it came to the end, it was the end of the festivity, almost like which we just came off of New Year's Eve uh, and, and so forth, where everybody, of course, if you get older, you don't stay up anymore. You go to bed. But at any rate, you know what I'm saying. It's a big celebration. It's kind of a climax. So that's what you've got. You've got this room where everybody is. It's dark, and you've got these candelabras, and you've got all of this light. Some sources that I consulted said this. The light in the temple during this festival on that particular night, and I quote, was so bright that it shed a glow over all of Jerusalem. Now, what that helped me to see in my mind's eye, have you ever done this? I remember driving through a couple of places, and you drive through a town, and there's nothing around, and you see these lights in the distance. Or sometimes you're coming upon a city, even in an area like this where it's busy and so forth, but there seems to be a glow, a bright light someplace. Or if you've ever been in a plane, if you will, you're, you're going in a plane, and you look down, and you can tell the ball games that are going on because you see these massive areas where lights are just lighting up the whole area. Well, envision that. That's what was going on. The feast has come to the end. Everything would be in darkness, just like if you were in a room, even a candle can give a little light. But this was tremendously bright. And in that setting, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to walk in and say, I'm the light of the world. Now, why the lights? Why this festivity? Was it just because it was darkness and they used candelabras back then? No, not at all. It was a reminder to them. We just had in our service a reminder to us of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done that should be significant to every single believer. What you need to understand is they had those candelabras and that light and the torches going on and all of this brightness to remind them of something very significant. And here it is in a nutshell. The presence of Almighty God. They had these lights to remind them that during their wilderness wanderings, that's why we had the responsive reading in Numbers. In their wilderness wanderings, there was a cloud and then the appearance of a fire that guided the people because they didn't move without knowing that God was commanding it and they had a sense of the presence of God. Now we read the text in, in Numbers, but I'd like you to look at just two verses at, in Exodus that deal with those wanderings so you see what I'm talking about. Go to Exodus 13. Exodus chapter 13. Now I want you to tune in fine now and listen if you get lost in some of that historical background to help you a little bit. But from this point, tune it on high. And in Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 and 22, watch this. And the Lord was going before them 
in a, cloud, in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. That's why we had that reading. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Why was that? Beginning of verse 21. Because it was the Lord, God, Jehovah, that was there in their presence. And in their wilderness wanderings, they had the presence of God. And in the New Testament, when they had this celebration and the lights, it was to remind them everything that the Jews did had significance. It was to remind them of the cloud by day and the fire by night. Remember, the Feast of Tabernacles was the boots when they were wandering and when they were traveling and how God protected them. And there was that significance of the presence of God being before them, the presence of God being in their midst. And in that setting, with these bright lights and all of the celebration going on, and them, no doubt in my mind, that's my mind, personal opinion here, that while they were celebrating, many of them were probably just celebrating. What do you mean? Have you ever come to church and you just came to church? Why? Because I'm supposed to go to church. Or you get up and you read your Bible. Why? Because I'm supposed to read my Bible. And what happens is there's no significance. And you went out and you either complained because Pastor Dan didn't know what he was talking about, or you complained because you got up on the wrong side of the bed or whatever it was, but something didn't satisfy you. Or you read your devotions and then 10 minutes later you went out and did the opposite of what you just read because you forgot what you read. You were doing it by rote. What I'm trying to say is I'm sure there were many of them that that's all they were doing. Singing, celebrating, tortures, and lighting the candelabras and having a great celebration, saying they were praising God and forgetting the significance of what it was supposed to have in the first place. It's very possible to come to the communion table and forget the significance. That's why as a church, we constantly remind you. And you might be sick of the 1 Corinthians, I hope you're not, 11 passage, but I will read it until I can't have any more breath to read it again so we don't forget. And it's in that context, that surrounding, that celebration that the Lord Jesus Christ teaches and says, I am the light of the world. They get this glow that's all over Jerusalem. Never mind Jerusalem, the Lord Jesus Christ says, I am the light of the world. And what he was saying is, I am the presence of God. I am God. That's the I am statement and the significance of it to them. They knew what he was saying. It wasn't just words. He is the source of life. He is the source of light. And salvation rests in him. Listen to Psalm 27. I will read it to you. You don't need to turn. Psalm 27 in just the first verse. Here's what it says. Listen. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Light and life associated with who? Jehovah. God. And Jesus Christ stands in their midst of that darkness 
with the candelabras lit and said, that's not where it is. The torches, that's not where it is. I am the light of the world, he said. It's not new to us in John. Go back with me to John chapter 1. I want you to see this. Jesus introduced us to this concept in the very first chapter of the book, which you've probably forgotten by now. But in John chapter 1, in verses 4 and 5, do you remember this? It says this, In him, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, was life. And the life was what? The light of men. And the light shines in the what? Darkness. Same thing we're dealing with in chapter 8. And the darkness did not comprehend it or overcome it or put it out, whatever we want to put on those terms. Life and light are essentially the same thing. Th that verse in verse 4 is the same construction of one that we look at in verse 1. I don't know if you remember when I said that. In verse 1 when he says that the word was with God and the word was God. It is the same Greek structure when you're dealing with that he is life and he is light. They are the same thing. The same thing. All life and all light is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. When he said this in the temple teaching, in the treasury, in the court of the women, he didn't say to them, listen, I am a light of the world and there's many others. No, he said, I am the light. My friend, we need to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only source of life. He is the only light to your path for the inner meaning of your soul and for guidance in this life. He is the image of God. That's why he could say this. They should have been associating the light with the presence of God. And what he was saying to them is, I am the presence of God. I am the light from heaven. I am the light to your soul right here. They had divine life and divine light right in their midst. Notice what else he says in verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Then he comes to his followers. And he moves from the universal appeal to the restrictive benefits, if you will, in the same verse. Look at what it says. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. What does he mean, he that follows me? Is this something that I do by my own efforts? What does he mean by that? Well, let's let us... Let's let the scriptures explain it to us. Would you turn with me to chapter 12? Chapter 12, same book, John chapter 12. And take a look at verse 46. I have come as light. Hmm, pretty consistent. Chapter 1, chapter 8, chapter 12. Where did he come? Into the world. Watch, verse 46. That everyone, now watch the next two words, who believes in me may not remain in darkness. What are you trying to say to us, Pastor Dan? That when he says in chapter 8, he that follows me, he's dealing with the same terminology. The follows is the equivalent of believing. To 
follow the Lord Jesus Christ means that you go after him, you believe on him, you trust in him for salvation. Salvation is restricted to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. It is Jesus Christ who is the Messiah. What does it mean to believe on him? Just that he existed historically? If that's as far as your faith goes, you're on your way to hell. There must be a faith in him as the Messiah, as the Lamb of God. There isn't any religion on the face of the earth that can save anyone. No church, no minister, no rabbi, no uncle, aunt, father, mother, cousin. The only one that can bring salvation is God himself. And he did it in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the image of the living God. He is the light of the world, the presence of God in our midst, the presence of God in their midst. And to follow him, to believe on him, will take us out of darkness and will bring us into light. That's the encouragement. He says, you shall not walk in darkness. You can't walk in darkness without bumping into things. You can't walk to dark. If you walked in darkness and weren't familiar with the area and there was a hole, you'd fall down. But when you've got light, you can see. And the only way that you can see with spiritual eyes is to have the Lord Jesus Christ and to believe on him. The encouragement is this. What does this world have to offer? It is dark. It is darkness. That's all the world has to offer to you. It is dark in its understanding, according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. The scriptures are very clear. That the Gentiles walk in the darkness of their understanding. According to Romans chapter 1, verse 21, the heart of a man that simply exists in this world physically and doesn't know God, his heart is darkened. According to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, the works of man, all of the things that he thinks he's doing to get to heaven, all of those works are darkness, according to the scriptures. If you want a summary verse of what the world has to offer and the wicked, go to Proverbs chapter 4 for just a second. Proverbs chapter 4. I think it's a good summary verse. In Proverbs chapter 4, in verse 19. Watch. The way of the wicked is like what? Darkness. Some of you are bold enough to answer. They do not know, watch this, they do not know over what they stumble. They don't even recognize it. Is that a put down? No, it's to challenge your heart. To see, don't you want to walk in light? Wouldn't it be better to be in the light than in darkness? The world doesn't even know what it's stumbling over. It's filled with darkness. Its motives are dark. Its motives are self-centered. It's not God-oriented. And even the religions on the face of the earth are usually driven by man. What's important is to know what God's word says and to know that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And going back to John chapter 8, and by the way, I am going to finish the other verses. You don't think I am, but I am. I'm gonna f going to finish the verses. I have to be careful with that expression in the light of what I'm teaching here. But the Lord Jesus Christ says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not, shall not walk in darkness, but shall have, watch, the light, what, of life. 
<clears throat> do you want eternal life? Does your soul thirst for truth? It's found in Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. It's found in Jesus Christ, who offers salvation. Following the Lord Jesus Christ, if you were to listen even to the world that we're living in, in the year 2010, when people hear the word Jesus Christ, they want to stop. But Jesus Christ is life. Jesus Christ is life. His word is life. If you want to know, Psalm 119, 105 says that. That the word of God is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Fellow believer, listen. Why do you need to read the word of God? Because you're going to get light for your life, direction for the path, decisions that you make, what you do. The Lord Jesus Christ is not only offering life, he is the life. He is the life. Let me encourage us as we deal even with dark times. There are times in our life, have you ever been discouraged? Ever faced trials that seem to be so overwhelming you didn't know where to turn? Even in dark times, the Lord Jesus Christ, in turning to God, in turning to his word, you will find light, life, and direction. And so will I. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ is light and life for salvation. But he's also light and life for direction. He's light and life for you to go through this world. That's why in Ephesians we're told not to walk any longer as the Gentiles walk according to the futility of their thinking. But we're to walk in newness of life. We're to walk in the light of his word. We're to walk in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we doing? Are we spending time with him? Are we letting him lead and direct our path? We quote many times from Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on it on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll what? Direct your paths. But we go through trials and difficulties and circumstances of life. And we forget this principle that's here in John. Yes, it's dealing with salvation. But that the Lord Jesus Christ and staying next to him, his light is the light of the world. His light is to give you guidance and direction as a husband, as a wife, as a child, as a worker, as a fellow believer. It's to give us direction. It's to give us life. He's the light of the world, the only one that can provide salvation. And as believer, as a believer, listen, his life and life is in us. The Holy Spirit. Thus we had no wonder he said, let your light so shine before men. No wonder he wants us to be, <coughs> according to Philippians, excuse me, a light in the midst of a dark and perverse world. Because we have the life and light of God in us. That ought to stimulate us to good works in a right sense. The Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world. You are without Christ. You're still in darkness. Oh, that's not a put down. But that's why your soul isn't satisfied. You can pursue the things of this world. It might be money. It, it might be fame. It, it might be whatever. But you know and I know that those things do not satisfy. Look at the tragedy that just happened. I'm sure you saw it in your news. Just to use it as an example you can relate to. Johnson & Johnson, a big company, 
You know, you use the baby powder all the time, right? I do. I still use it on my feet and so forth. Johnson & Johnson, a great-granddaughter, billionaire, 30 years of age. The life is gone. She could go in and buy anything that she wanted, have anything that she wanted in the world and was not satisfied. Without God, without the light of the world, without Jesus Christ in your life, you will never have your soul at rest. You will never come out of the darkness. You need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were celebrating, and most of them were walking in darkness while holding torches. Walking in darkness while having the glow of that woman's area filled Jerusalem, not even recognizing where they were stumbling. So much so that we come in the next two minutes to wrap up the next five to six verses. The skeptics, verses 13 to 20. Even the religious leaders said, therefore you're bearing witness of yourself, your witness is not true. Rather than coming to the light, rather than coming to the life that they could have to satisfy their soul, they became critical of Jesus and of everything that he represented. But you know, in verse 14, quickly, Jesus Christ says, look, I know where I came from, I know where I'm going, and I know who I am. What a summary. He knew his origin. He was here before the foundation of the world. He knew his destiny, that he was to go to the cross of Calvary, but not yet, verse 20, because his time wasn't here. He knew who he was, the light of the world. He was the great I am of the Old Testament. He was the light that led the people out of the wilderness wanderings. He knew exactly who he was. And when you get down to verse 15, you see the false standards of the world. What is it? They judge by the flesh. And they're still doing that today. People won't come to Christ because they say it doesn't make sense to you. You know what? It won't make sense to you. That someone would sacrifice for the likes of a sinner like me or you doesn't make sense at all. That someone would give their life so that I could have life. That someone would come to this world having the glories of heaven and come here and a world he created that's sinful like we are, that has newspapers, TVs, and everything else saturated with the wickedness of man, and he would come here and sacrifice himself so that we could have life, doesn't make sense at all. But that's the love of God. To do that, and yet they judge by the flesh. They had a false assurance. Let me just wrap it up with that. Look at verse 19. So they were saying to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, and watch this, you neither know me nor my father. And you will see this later on in the book. They thought they knew God. They thought they had enough religion to get to heaven. They thought they knew enough of the Bible to get to heaven. And they were lost. They were in darkness yet. And if you're sitting here, even if you've come to Fellowship Bible Church for 40 years, and know all of the lingo, and haven't come to trust in Christ, you are sitting there in darkness. You are sitting there without any hope for eternal life. It's got to be put in the light of the world. It's got to be put in the way, the truth, and the life. It's got to be put in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who God the Father, according to our text, recognizes and testifies that this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. They thought they were okay. Is that you today? Do you think you're okay? But yet you know where no one else, I can't see there. Those sitting next to you can't see there. But you know inside, you know, I just don't have that peace. I'm not sure if I died where I'd be. You're in darkness. What's the objective? Come to the light. Come to the light of the world. The one that can satisfy your soul. The one who's paid for your soul. Trust in him. Believe in him. You follow him. You will have light in your path. Direction in your path. And fellow Christian, why in the world would we want to snuff out the light and go back to the world of darkness? And yet if we're honest, every day, every one of us are being pulled back to that darkness in trying to get off the path of the light. Stay close to the Lord and the word of God. And even in the darkest trials of your life, you will have clear direction and clear guidance because the Lamb of God will take care of you. We need to close in a word of prayer. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you that the Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Father, we're living in a room right now where there's brightness. We see the sun that's bright, and sometimes as we look into the sun, it's just absolutely overpowering. Our eyes can't even take it. It's so bright. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ created it. He's the light of the world, the one that can satisfy the longing soul, the one that can provide forgiveness of sin, the gift of eternal life. Father, deal with every heart that's in this room. There could be in this room those who are still in darkness and are stumbling, tripping, don't even know where they're going. Help them to come to the light, the Lord Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Help them to believe on him, to follow him. They may have the gift of eternal life. Father, for the many who have trusted in Christ, Help us not to just look at it as a historical event, but help us to realize by staying close to Christ, by staying into the word of God, which is a lamp unto our feet, that we will walk in light as we follow and allow the Lord Jesus Christ to lead. He will only lead us in paths that will bring righteousness, purity, holiness, joy, peace, and all the things that our hearts desire. Help us to serve you the way that we ought. We ask these things in Jesus' name.